Good morning and welcome to our Sunday gathering online. On a wall in my house hangs a sign that says, Family where life begins and love never ends. You probably have a few sayings like that that hang around your house, pithy, inspirational. What would it take for that sign to be true? Actually true and not just some idea or some moment of inspiration. It would take a group of people in that home acting on that conviction to see that statement become a reality. It takes, it takes an intentional thought and then actions and choices repeatedly over time. Now this framework of seeing a statement and then choosing to act on it to make it come into existence is not something that's unique to the church. Most groups have some sort of mission or aim that directs its members to achieve or be. Which begs the question, what sets the Christian community apart from other types of community groups? Or let me ask it this way. What sets the church apart from other type of civic groups? What makes us different from uh, your, your, your key club? or your book club, or your CrossFit gym, or your sports team. Right now, our world is longing for this answer. When the church understands the character and priorities it possesses, the world just isn't a better place for it. It becomes a taste of heaven on earth for it. As we face pressures in our world, we must be reminded of who God is and who he has called us to be. This is the precise place that we find ourselves in today's teaching text. Let me give you a little previously on. This is a letter that we're looking at called Colossians. It's written to a church that is facing pressure to acquiesce to the worldly philosophy of the culture around them. This pressure comes from both inside and outside the church as people attempt to navigate what it looks like to follow Jesus well. And what sometimes happens, as in the case of the Colossians, is you have people who decide it's just easier to make up a set of rules that help you achieve or feel good. And Paul writes a letter to the church that says, hey, you guys have been faithful. You have been following Jesus well. And actually, your faith has been made known all across the world. But don't give in to this pressure to make faith a set of rules that drive action. What Paul wants to remind these Colossian believers is to look at their status through being united with Christ and how that applies to their everyday life. See, Paul takes a look at Jesus in Colossians chapter 1. And then he describes how the believers in Colossae, how their un union with Christ is impactful for their life. How it's the most substantive thing for their life. Now he goes from something of knowledge to internal change to see how it practically plays out in the everyday things of life. And he sets this all up in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. And as we get to this text, we're going to look at 3, 5 through 3, 11. Just prior to that, 
Paul has said that Jesus is raised from the dead, and therefore their identification with him must be real. And then he throws this word in verse three or in verse five. He says, therefore. Now, quick Bible hint or tip, I should say, when you are reading is whenever you see therefore, make sure you ask what that's there for. Paul's thesis in this section is live in the present as the kind of human you will become because Jesus has been raised. And Paul gives us two responses to that proposition. Live in the present as the kind of humans you will become. First, he says put to death or get rid of sinful behavior. To describe this new humanity that Jesus has created through people who are placing their faith with him, Paul first contrasts these believers' old way of living with their new way of living. Here's an important piece to remember. Paul has commended them for their faith. So they understand that change has occurred, that the way they are supposed to live now is definitely different than the way they used to live. They are well aware of the difference. They have already undergone a change, but current pressures are drawing them back to a level of old way of living. And so Paul says, put off sinful desires. And he actually gives us two lists. But the word usage here actually is painting us a picture of that of changing clothes. So think you go outside and you get all muddy and dirty, and then you come inside and what are you going to do? You're, you're going to take them off and you're going to take a shower and you're going to put on new clothes. Or the first thing that you do in the morning is you get up and, and you put on clothes. What Paul is saying is these old desires, this old way of living is like dirty, muddy clothes. And they actually dictated your everyday life. You were ruled by them. And these lists include distorted sexual ethic, destructive speech, desires that are internal to these believers that then wreak havoc externally. And Paul is fully aware that the culture in which these believers are surrounded by actually approve of these desires. They say greed is good. Get what's yours. Achieve all you can be or do at the cost of others. Who really cares about others? Sleep with whoever you want. Take satisfaction in chasing temporary pleasure. So Paul wants to just remind these believers that the sins of their culture will be judged. Now they were once guilty of these sins too, but because of their faith in Jesus, Jesus has paid the penalty for their sins. So God does not see them with the level of filth that these sins portray. These sins should not be present with them. Paul makes sure to remind them that the wrath of God will be poured out on these sins. In the case of these believers, the wrath of God has been poured out on Jesus, so they are saved. Now, a few years back, there was this image that was floating around the internet. It was this picture of a garment, and there was this ongoing debate. Were the stripes on this dress black and blue or white and gold? I would encourage you, if you remember that debate, I want to hear what you thought they were in the comments below. So definitely let us know, black and blue or white and gold. We want to hear that. 
Now, while it's debatable about what stripes these the dresses, Christian living should be as obvious as two different color of shirts. It should not be debatable. We have this value around Generation Church called progress over perfection. Our desire is to become more like Jesus. It's he that lives in us so that he can then live through us. And what we understand in this and what we're trying to grow in is that following Jesus is a lifelong journey. So we're not going to be perfect, but we should see change as we grow in our relationship with Jesus. Our character should change. We should look different because it's Christ's perfection that is in us. And what Paul wants us to do in this section is he wants us to identify sins that still persist in our life and be ruthless about eliminating them. And that's why he uses strong language. This is put to death. Now, we don't always do this well by ourselves. And this is the beautiful thing of a church in the context of community. And this is, in fact, why we have community groups is because we want you to get in the context of other relationships so that as you identify sins in your life, ways that are contrary to the way of God, that you put people in your life to help you eliminate them, to encourage you to keep going, to put them off, and to, and to sometimes point out in the most loving way possible, hey, that meme that you posted on social media, something that you shared recently, yeah, that was actually very divisive speech. Actually, it was perpetuating a level of distorted sexual ethic, or it was it was malice or slander. And Paul says we need to put these off. And we want to progressively get better at doing this, which is why we need each other. Now, the reason we do this is because we want to be the image of our Creator. And Paul points this out in verse 10. He says, you are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your Creator. See, there's no way that Jesus would walk in any of these sins. So if we identify with him, we won't walk in them either. We should be eager to get rid of behavior that does not reflect that heavenly mindset that we are supposed to have. So as Christians, sometimes we need each other to remind us that, hey, we're supposed to be putting sin to death. I mean, I sit before you right now and I look at these lists and I can identify a few that God is working on my heart and on my mind with right now. So I would encourage you, if you are watching this, whenever you are watching this, to identify a sin from that list. Rely on the Holy Spirit and say, okay, God, which one? And then ask the Holy Spirit, to help remove that from you, to put you in situations where you are going to have to choose maybe kind words over slander, where you choose patience over anger. Maybe you choose one of our other values in a situation, give over looking at what you can get to counteract greed. Those who are part of generations, we must get in the habit of putting these sins off, identifying sin in our own life and naming it and then handing it over to Jesus and relying on other believers, trusting other believers to help us along this lifelong journey of following Jesus. 
And this habit individually provides the groundwork for the second response that Paul gives us to do. That we should collectively embody the new humanity that Jesus calls us into. Now you've already got a glimpse of that with some of the first action steps that we see Paul calling us to by putting these sins to death. But the response here is a frame of reference with the eternal perspective in view. The church community the Colossians are currently part of should have no barriers based on ethic, ethnic identity, socioeconomic status, background or heritage, or whatever other, other things that we would use to divide us. We have some labels in our current culture that we, we draw lines of division between us and others. And so what the church must be, according to Paul, as he's writing this letter to the Colossians, is that a place where the renewal is so profound in the life of the individual believers that it affects the whole church community. See, it's not just an individual change of character, but also corporate recreation of humanity in the Creator's image. So, when people look at the church, they should see a people that are a type of community that is drastically different than other types of community that they can be a part of. See, as we exist in other types of community, we can get a glimpse of... Uh, of being causal, of being for something. But at some point, maybe we run out of motivation. We, we can have some parts of community that are super encouraging, but then have no outward expression or mission or cause. And so the, the, the church must be a place where there's corporate change all together that's drawing up character and changing our priorities. Now, Christians are saved through their union with Christ, and they follow Christ's model and teaching in faith and ethics. So how we live our faith every day, where we live, work, and play, is rooted in who Jesus is and what he has done for us. See, the church, as the embodiment of the gospel, is an essential form of witness to a watching world, which means people will observe the church. And the church should be such an alternative type of community of care, of bearing one another's burdens, even when it's sometimes impractical, even sometimes when it's, when it's not heroic. It, it causes Christians to embrace the awkwardness, to persevere through the uncomfortable moments, to actually show up and care for one another. Now, I have to say, Generation Church, you guys do extremely well at this. In the last several weeks, we have seen several people move, and several of you have shown up to help people move. That's a tangible expression of, of Christian community, and we want to see that continue, but we don't just want to see it stop with us. We want to see such profound care within our own generation church, but we also want to see that affect the community and those relationships around us. Now, this community the church differs from other major religions in the world, where one's ethnicity, place of birth, and family link faith and society, believer and citizen, doctrine and culture, and church and state. The church is composed of voluntary disciples. And biblically, this is 
This is so profound because one is not a member of the church on the basis of national citizenship, ethnic identity, or birth into a particular group. One is a member of the church because they are willingly submitting their life to the way of Jesus repeatedly, over and over and over again, which means there is going to be a level of care and proximity that you place yourself in with other people because as we each bear God's image, we're going to talk a little bit about that on this midweek podcast, bearing God's image. And so we're going to, we're going to, if you have questions about what that actually means, we're going to take a, a, a look at that and what that means for being truly human. But as we bear God's image collectively, we will then care for others because we want them to be a part of the family of God. See, this work of new creation not only deals with the old man and gives us a new pattern after Jesus Christ, it breaks down barriers that separate people in society. Paul says, whether there's nor Greek nor Jew, nor circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, Christ is all and in all. When someone says yes to following Jesus, they are entered into a forever family, which favors no race, nationality, class, or culture, or ethnicity. Paul uses these descriptions because they were barriers in the Roman world that were now broken down because of Christ. You could probably think of a few off of the top of your head of labels and barriers that exist in our world presently. And we as believers must be the first to break down those barriers, to pursue real relationships with others, to listen to people's stories rather than write them off because of their sin. And that's right, you're going to hear that repeatedly. That's one of our values, story over sin, where we see how Jesus shapes our identity rather than our past and our failures and the identity sometimes that we even create for ourselves. So we will grow in that collectively and individually. We want more people to become like Jesus. Now the temptation that we will face will be to make them become like us. This is what Paul has just addressed with the false teachers. Go back into Colossians chapter 2. People do not need to become like you in order for them to become like Christ. What these false teachers were saying is, you got to do all these things and then you'll be a true follower of Jesus. We as believers must be very intentional about pointing people directly to Jesus. And out of that relationship with Jesus, out of people's encounter with Jesus, will drive the change of character and priorities in their life. See, among new creation people, it doesn't matter if one is Greek or Jew or circumcised or uncircumcised or Scythian or barbarian, according to Paul. All those barriers are broken down. It only favors Jesus because in this new family, Christ is all and in all. Now, as we hear that, we might think a popular phrase that is thrown out today is, well, then we should just be colorblind. That's not what Paul is advocating here. Jews are still Jews in Christ. Gentiles are still Gentiles in Christ. Just as in our day, black is still black in Christ. Latino is still Latino in Christ. White is still white in Christ. It doesn't matter as we look at race in that way. But what we must do is we must recognize that it's in Christ that's so pivotal. 
These earthly identities are no longer what is most important. Solidarity in Christ is now the ruling paradigm for the new community. For us at Generations Church, we have tried to live this out. We have, I have tried to encourage us to, to adopt the mindset that it's solidarity in Christ that now must rule us and our church. We will be very tempted to be drawn into the battles that the world is facing around us, of drawing lines of division where there doesn't need to be. That's why you hear me often say, like we have, we have people who are gay and straight. We have people who are, are Democrats and Republicans. We have people who are young and old in our church community. We have people, we have male and female in, in our church community. All those labels and forms of identity where people find their identity, that should, that's not the prevailing identity. Those aren't eliminated, but the prevailing identity must be Christ because we were created in the image of our creator. So here's what this means for Christian believers as we think about expressing this in our everyday life. The Christian who lives in the United States of America should have more in common with his Chinese brothers and sisters in Christ, with his European brothers and sisters in Christ, with his African brothers and sisters of Christ, with his Latino brothers and sisters in Christ, than the unbelievers in our very own cities, towns, and communities. We should never surrender the essence of Christian faith in the name of common essence. That's a battle that, that, that Paul was encouraging his, th these Colossian believers to fight. He's saying, don't be drawn in to, to, to being a part of a community where you draw lines that Christ has erased. In fact, bring all the beautiful people of the world into God's family. That was God's original vision, is that he would start with one family and one people, and his glory would go out to all of the nations, and all of the nations would be a part of God's family. And that's what we at Generation Church said, we want to expand the family of God. We don't care about your background, but we want to learn your story, because your story matters. And the reason I say we don't care about your background is because your background is not going to be a barrier for your participation in the life of Christian community. And so what does this mean for us to parse this out a little bit further? Our identity emerges not from one's ethnicity, heritage, or status, but from Christ. And if you are not a follower of Jesus, let me extend to you the opportunity to become a follower of Jesus. You are offered a new identity, not one that you need to earn, but one that is freely given. And if you are a Christian, let us live in response to that identity that is freely given. Because of Jesus isn't, because of Jesus mustn't, be something we simply say, but something we live. If we are our Christ's body collectively, then we must collectively put off sin. To collectively put off sin means we must individually put off sin internally and externally while putting on Christ. Next week, we're going to look at what it means to actively put on Christ. See, Paul 
envisions a new kinship, the family of Jesus, in which Christ brings together what had always been separate. This means the identity lines that we draw to divide must become lines that we cross relationally in pursuit of people, to hear their story and to get to know them. So as I encourage you to connect with people, to hear their story, to identify in, identify the sins in your own life and give them to Jesus, you might be saying, okay, that's great in theory. Give me a little more practice. And to be asking, how does this happen? How do these boundary lines actually be become non-existent and, and get erased? It's a word, and it's actually something that we do every week at Generations Church. Communion. We develop greater unity with Jesus when we commune with him. When we have a conversation we develop unity with other believers when we commune with them, when we have conversations with them. See, communion leads to care. And as we look at two buzzwords in our culture, racism and ethnocentrism, we at Generation Church must be able to stand up because we have heard the stories of our Asian brothers and sisters, our African-American brothers and sisters, and bear their burdens with them. And not, be, and, not, and not buy in to a culture that puts them on the outs or sweeps their trauma under the rug. The murder of Ahmaud Arbery was evil. It is evil that... Justice was delayed for so long. The church can be an alternative community to the watching world. We must be the first to cross barriers and build relationships and commune with people who are different with than us for the sake of Jesus. Because he wants them to be a part of his family. And there as we commune with both Jesus and with others, the church becomes the locale for healing when we say because of Jesus and then display it. It matters what we say on social media about something far away because it produces a witness in our own community. It matters that our union with Christ is displayed. Our union with Christ leads us to a unity that is displayed in morals and a care for diverse people because they bear the image of Christ. Not because we get anything out of it, but because we want to see them reconciled to an all-loving God creator whose wrath will be poured out on those who are outside his family when justice does come to them. What sets the Christian community apart from other types of community groups Christ is all and in 